We've been doing a series on piercing the darkness, and I shared with you last week something I want to repeat before we read the passage for today. There are two kinds of churches in our hour. Two kinds of churches exist out there in this time. Those that are caving in to the darkness and those that are piercing the darkness. Those that are saying, well, we'll let the culture shape us. Or those that are saying, no, we're going to shape the culture. We're not going to bend, bow, break, or back down to the pressure of a godless culture. But we are going to pierce the darkness. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those churches that does that right up there. Takes the sword of the Spirit in our hand and pierces the darkness. The only reason darkness is here, because light is absent. If the light starts shining, the darkness will be driven backward. So the hope for the United States of America is standing right next to you. Matter of fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that's just the way that it is. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And so let's pray together after we read this passage. Piercing the darkness. I want to talk to you today about when light is dark and dark is light. Here's the principle. Churches that pierce the darkness will be churches that remain loyal to the Word of God. Period. No matter what it costs. You cannot pierce the darkness if you throw the Bible out. you got to be true to it. So, let's read the passage. Here's Isaiah talking to the people of his day who, within a few decades, would go into judgment. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you will enlighten us, illuminate us, make us a people wise in this hour, and able to discern the times. Help us not to be overwhelmed with darkness, but to overwhelm the darkness and truly see a third great awakening come to this country. We pray for America that, Lord, you will turn back the tide, turn back the darkness, raise your people up, and, Lord, let the light shine from your people, from every pulpit and every Christian. Let the light shine. We pray for an awakening, a genuine, God-sent, Holy Spirit, devil-stomping awakening. We pray for an awakening. We pray, send your power once again. Overwhelm the darkness, Lord. Raise up a standard by your Spirit. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up, you're going to need this. Now, I want you to notice very carefully, today's message, it's going to be very strong and sobering and in the end encouraging. I'm going to ask that there be as little movement as possible. If you've got a child and they've got to go potty, well, that should have happened before now. If you've got a teenager 
and they're starting to act up or wiggle around or get up and walk out and walk back in and do all that stuff, tell them to stay seated because we want to be able to focus on the Word of God today. I got to tell the truth, and, and I'm never in my 57 years been more concerned about America than I am right now. America is in real serious trouble, but not without a solution. The solution is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The solution is the Word of God, the truth. The solution is the light and the salt of the earth, you. There is a solution, and it's not a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or any other political creature. It is the church, and it is the God of the church and the God who gave us His Word. That's the only real hope for this country, but it's a genuine hope. It's a real hope. Now, Isaiah the prophet is pronouncing a woe. Jesus pronounced a lot of woes, and when Jesus looks at you and says, Woe, you better not go. If he says, Woe unto you, you better stop in your tracks and listen to what he's saying. Woe means sorrow, tragedy, or terrible consequences are coming for certain things, for actions, for uh, attitudes, for words, for lifestyles. Woe means sorrow is coming. Tragedy is on the way. Isaiah is stating sorrow and tragedy is going to be the lot of any person or any culture that goes to the level of calling evil good or good evil. When a society begins to call good evil and evil good, that society has reached the height of confusion, the depths of depravity, the profoundest darkness of all. When you actually label good evil or evil good, you are genuinely, profoundly deceived and confused. Isaiah is directing his warning at the moral relativism of his day. What is moral relativism? It is when you say, I don't accept God's word anymore for my standard of right and wrong. This is no longer my standard. My standard is what I decide my standard is. My standard is what seems right to me. So I will choose what is good or bad for me, what is right or wrong for me. The Word of God, the Bible, God's Word is no longer my standard. Now I'm not living under absolutes, I'm living under relativism. Meaning, what is right or wrong for me is relative to the situation, to the circumstances I'm facing. I will be my own judge. Isaiah is speaking to those people. They were perverting God's moral standards, and that's why they were headed to judgment. They were inverting the truth. And when they inverted the truth, they perverted the truth. They took what was right and made it wrong. They took what was wrong and made it right. They took God's Word and said, well, whatever you say is right is now my wrong. And whatever you say is wrong is now what I'm going to call right. And they inverted truth. It says this of those in, in Jeremiah and Isaiah's day, quote, everybody followed the promptings of his own evil heart. In another place it says, each man did what was right in his own eyes. When you as a person or we as a culture throw God's word out the window, there's only one place to go, and that is relativism. 
What I say is right is right. What I say is wrong is wrong. I am now my own judge. The buck stops with me. I will be the decider of how I live, not God's Word. I will not let God's Word read me. I will read it. I will not let it judge me. I will judge it. When a culture goes there, a culture is in deep and profound peril. When people do only what seems right in their own eyes, they wind up living totally contrary to the revealed will of God in His Word. Listen carefully to me today. Our country is there. We're not going there. We're there. We're in a free fall. I said to Kathy last night, it's like we're losing 100 yards a day in the secular culture. Slipping and sliding down into the abyss of total confusion and total destruction because we have inverted God's truth. When a society or a person inverts God's principles for a blessed life, because everything that God told us to do, the way He told us to live, leads to a blessed life if you do it. But when you invert God's principles for a blessed life, it provides carte blanche permission to the ungodly to carry out all types of unrighteous behavior with impunity. And that's why they want to call good evil and evil good, so that they can live a wicked life in society and never be rebuked or reproached for it. David observed this, quote, the wicked freely strut around. In other words, I'm strutting my sin. And he says, here's when it happens. When what is vile is honored among men. What God calls wicked, men start calling good. What God calls good, men start calling wicked. That's a culture that is in deep trouble. Now here's a fact. Reversing God's standards of right and wrong characterizes times of apostasy. And it precedes divine judgment. Now I'm going to go where angels fear to tread. And I want to say that every pastor and every preacher occupying any pulpit in the United States of America ought to be going where I'm about to go. And I want to say to any pastor or preacher listening to me right now, Sir, please start preaching the Word of God on this. And don't hold back. Because... If there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pews. If the pulpit is gray and uncertain, the people are completely confused. It's time for men of God who say they are preachers and say they are called of God to quit being afraid of being called names or losing your sweet spot in social circles. It's time to stand up and speak up before it's eternally too late in our country. Now remember, when you invert truth and you call right wrong and wrong right and good bad and bad good and up is down and down is up and light is dark and dark is light, you are in apostasy and you're headed towards divine judgment. Now one inversion of truth that is currently ripping our nation apart is the homosexual controversy. I, I was thinking this morning before I came here today, I've been preaching since I was 18 years old and I'm 57. 
And I could count on one hand the number of times I've preached on homosexuality because it was never really a front burner issue for me. But the reason I'm addressing it today is because it is being addressed and we are being confronted by radical militant homosexuality that is seeking to redefine our culture and engineer, re-engineer our culture into something that we will not recognize in 10 years if somebody doesn't start saying something about it. And so because of recent events in our country, I've got to address it. And so I'm going to address it today. I'm going to address it boldly, and it's going to be very strong, but very needed. I want to say before I begin that I say this in love. And don't tell me I'm bigoted or that I hate homosexuals and I'm a homophobe. You a liar. You're a liar. To say that I hate homosexuals is stupid. And you know what? That argument is getting old. Because I believe theft is wrong. I believe adultery is wrong. I believe incest is wrong. Just because I have a conviction about something doesn't mean I hate the practitioners of it. But let's, let's just dive right in. We're now being told that it is normal for two members of the same sex to be involved in an emotional sexual relationship. We're being told that it's normal. In fact, if we don't agree with this, we are immediately labeled homophobic, bigoted, judgmental, ignorant, archaic, backward, Bible thumper, idiot Southerners, instead of just accepting the fact that, hey, you have a difference of opinion from me. And where is tolerance? Aren't we supposed to be tolerant? And what I have found is, yes, tolerance works if I tolerate you. But if I disagree with you, you don't tolerate me. And if we're going to be tolerant, let's be tolerant. So let me share my thoughts on this, and I'm coming straight from the Word of God, God's Word. There's no other source for me. I'm a preacher of the Word of God. And so this book that I hold in my hand claims to be the inspired, inerrant Word of God, straight from heaven, spoken through the Holy Spirit, through holy men of old who were moved on by the Holy Spirit. And so this book claims to be the Word of God, and this is the book from which I will spring today. Now... I am not homophobic, bigoted, judgmental, or ignorant. And adding profundity to absurdity, we're now being told by a small minority of people in the United States of America, with the help of the ever-dependable mainstream media, did I say lamestream media? That we should not only agree with, but we should sanction same-sex marital unions, man-to-man woman to woman. And if we are up to speed and illuminated and are really walking in genuine modern truth, then we will not only agree with but sanction same-sex unions. And if we don't agree with that, something is wrong with us. Inversion of truth. Now all of this has recently been brought to a head with the controversy swirling in California over what's called Proposition 8. Now, Proposition 8, or Prop 8, means the California Marriage Protection Act. It was a ballot proposition and a constitutional amendment that passed in the November 2008 state elections. It passed with 52.3% of the popular vote in California. 
Not Idaho. California. You see, this whole issue is experiencing a deep primal response in the hearts of people. And even in California, 52.3% said, here's the deal. We believe that marriage is only between a man and a woman, and that is the only kind of marriage we want to be valid or recognized in California. Now, 7 million, 7 million Californians said, we believe that marriage is exclusively and only between a man and a woman. Now, that should have ended the dispute, but it didn't, and it never does. Several lawsuits were filed against Prop 8 after it passed, which brought the case before a federal judge, U.S. District Judge Vaughn Walker, who also happens to be openly gay. Now, this past week, Judge Walker, think about this, this past week, Judge Walker, one man, ruled that Prop 8 was unconstitutional, which it is not. Aren't we in a democracy? Aren't people supposed to be able to vote for something? One man overturned 7 million votes. One man overturned the will of the people. One man said what 7 million people voted for was unconstitutional. So under Judge Walker, it's no longer we the people, but it's I the judge. Now the case will now move, of course, through the liberal Ninth Circuit Court where it doesn't have a chance and may very likely and probably end up in the Supreme Court. Now, what's wrong with all of this? What, what is this really all about as far as the Word of God is concerned? Stop and think for a minute. A same-sex marriage union totally inverts, turns inside out, upside down, God's original intent for the two genders. In my opinion, and in the majority of Americans' opinion, I said the majority of Americans' opinion, it's a brazen attack against the traditional family that was ordained by God all the way back to Eden. Now, I believe when all else fails, follow directions. And you want to go to the source of something to get at the root of it. So let's go all the way back to the beginning of all things because there was a beginning to all things, including the human race, the Garden of Eden. Let's go to the first man and woman. And let's read what God said when He created them. Genesis 2, verses 18 through 22. Listen to the Word of God. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Who is a fit, who makes sense, who is a helper for him. So the Lord God caused the man to go to sleep. The reason he did that is because if he'd have been awake, he'd have tried to orchestrate things and he'd have messed it up. He had to knock the dude out. I understand that. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman, a woman from the rib. Woman coming from, he saw her and said, whoa, man. And that's exactly what God wanted him to say, whoa, man. That's, that's not Hebrew, that's Jeff. 
<laughs> and he brought, listen, her to him. Now, I know that my God wants the very best for me, and my God is able to give me the very best. So if it had been best, he would have brought to Adam a man and a woman and said, take your pick. But he didn't. Now, I, believe me, I'm not mocking. I'm trying to be logical. As a matter of fact, I'm saying what I'm saying in love because like so many things that are sexual in nature, this is a bondage from which we need to be set free. And so I'm adding a little bit of humor just to lighten things up because y'all look so serious. But the bottom line is that it's true if you're logical about it. If it had been the best thing, it's what God would have done because he only doeth wondrous things and shall not the judge of all the earth do right. So God brought a woman to the man. Now Genesis goes on to say this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two, man and woman, are united into one. Now, did you know that Jesus expounded on this in Matthew 19, verse 5? Jesus dealt with this very thing and validated everything we just read. And Jesus said in Matthew 19, 5, Haven't you read the Scriptures? I wish that I could say that to this entire culture. Haven't you read the Word of God? Haven't you read the Bible? Because here's what Jesus said. Haven't you read the Scriptures? And it translated, here's why you're confused. Because you haven't read the Scriptures. He said, they record that from the beginning, in other words, God's original intent, in the very beginning, God made, everybody say made, God made them male and female. Now notice, he didn't use the word husband and wife, he's talking about gender. He said, God made them a male and a female. Jesus said, please understand, he's a God of gender. He created gender. He created two distinct genders for the purpose of bringing them together. This was God's original plan, his original intent. In light of that, let's consider what Judge Walker wrote in his decision against Prop 8. Quote, says Judge Walker, today... Gender is not relevant to the state in determining spouses' obligations to each other. Walker said, quote, gender no longer forms an essential part of marriage, end quote. Gender is no longer relevant to marriage, said the federal judge. Well, who died and made him God? And he said, today as if to say it used to be this way but now in our day of enlightenment gender is no longer an issue in marriage the Bible says let God be true and every man a liar which is right judge Walker or the Bible or let me take it a step further who's right judge Walker or Christ Jesus the Bible says God made them male the Hebrew word is ish and female the Hebrew isha God intentionally made Ish 
the male, and Eshaw, the female. He made them distinctly, beautifully, profoundly different. Ish and Eshaw, listen closely to Jesus' next word. This explains why a man, said Jesus, Ish, leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, Eshaw. And the two are united into one, Ish and Eshaw. God said to Ish, Ish, meet Eshaw. Then Jesus said, what God has joined. What God has joined. Let no man put asunder. What is he saying? Jesus is saying that God made Ish and Eshaw for the purpose of marriage. I mean, this is where we need the Word of the Lord to help us because our culture is desperately confused and going down the tube. Your children, the children all over the United States of America, some places worse than others, are being taught the complete opposite of this. And I say it's time preachers and Christians had better start speaking up and declaring the truth. God made Eshaw and Ish to bring them together in marriage and in marriage let not anyone put that asunder because God is the one that joins Ish and Eshaw. The first thing Jesus ever did as a miracle was done at a wedding between Ish and Eshaw, the wedding of Cana. He blessed the wedding in Cana. Now nowhere in all the Word of God can you remotely find anything or any other arrangement than this one, a marriage between a man and a woman. This is an undeniable irrefutable, inescapable, non-negotiable truth in both Scripture and in nature. Now, I know it's not popular to quote the passages I'm about to read, but again, I've got to be faithful to God's Word. And His instruction manual for life and living is right here. So just quoting the Word. I'm a teacher of the Word of God. This is my textbook. This is it. This is where I'm coming from. Because the churches that pierce the darkness are going to, in these dark times are going to be the churches that stay with the Word of God. So how does God view homosexuality? How does He view lesbianism? How does He view it? In 17 sexual prohibitions found in Leviticus 18, God adds personal commentary to only three of them. Incest, which He calls wickedness. Bestiality, which He calls perversion. And homosexuality, which He calls detestable. Now, I know what you're going to retort. You're going to say, yeah, but Jeff, that's Old Testament. We're not living in the Old Testament. Okay, let's follow that logic just for a minute. Does that mean that incest and bestiality are also okay? that okay with you? Because incest and bestiality and the prohibitions against them are found in the same chapter of the same book of the Old Testament. So you see, you're sliding down a slippery slope if you say, well, we're going to pick and choose. We don't think that it's any longer wrong to be in a homosexual lifestyle and Leviticus is outdated, then you're going to also have to listen to those who are going to rise up and say, well then, I think incest is fine. 
or I think bestiality is fine. Is that where you want the culture to go? You say, Pastor Jeff, it would never go there. Did you think it would ever go where it is now? I didn't. I would never have believed if you had plucked me out of the early 70s into this day and age, right now, this hour, this year, I would not have believed what I would see. It's happened because we've thrown this out. Now, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to say, well, Leviticus is wrong, then you have to open the door for incest to be okay, bestiality, and all the other prohibitions in there. You say, well then, okay, but I know Jesus never directly condemned homosexuality. He never said the word. He never said anything about incest or bestiality either. He didn't have to. It's obvious. One of the laws of biblical interpretation is that we should interpret a passage in light of other passages in the Bible. Because the Bible agrees with itself. If it says something in, uh, over here, it'll agree with it over here. The Bible is a unit. It is not a book of many, many different thoughts on any topic. It is a uniform theme on any given topic or issue. So what does the New Testament say about the homosexual lifestyle? And again, what I'm, see, the Word of God, folks, is a, it's a wall of protection. God doesn't want to be a party pooper. He doesn't want to cramp your style. He doesn't want to cause you to not enjoy life. But He will give His Word to protect us from what damages and destroys us. So, He says homosexuality, among other sexual sins, is forbidden in the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Listen to this one. Paul writes to the Corinthian church that was, uh, that was in, uh, ensconced in a city that was overflowing with sexual perversion, sexual promiscuity, and he writes to them and says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, that being fornication or premarital sex, or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or who practice homosexuality. He just listed four sexual sins. One of them was homosexuality. He goes on, uh, telling us about those who will not inherit the kingdom of God, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or those who are abusive, or those who cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says this, but some of you were once like that. Who's he talking to? Corinthian Christians. And he's saying, some of you were thieves. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you lived in fornication. And some of you were, past tense, homosexuals. He goes on and says, but you were made holy. You were cleansed. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul is saying that when they came to Christ, they forsook those things. That's what he's saying. So how can you lay hands on someone living that lifestyle and ordain them? If the Bible says... They should have left that behind. 
by inverting truth. Romans 1 gets even stronger. Buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. For the wrath of God, says Paul, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in, right, in unrighteousness. Because that, now listen carefully, I'm going to tell you when a society is plunged into darkness. Listen. When they knew God, they knew about Him, they knew the reality of God, knew that He was real, knew that He was there. When they knew God, they didn't glorify Him as God, neither were they thankful to Him, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Watch this. They disconnected from God. They said, I know you're there, but I'm not going to glorify you as God. I'm not going to give you the glory. I'm not going to worship you. And I'm not going to give you thanks. In other words, I'm cutting you out of my life. When you cease responding to God as God, and you don't thank Him, you're not thankful for anything, you live connect, disconnected from God, here's what happens. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened professing themselves to be wise we don't need God anymore we don't need him in our textbooks we don't need him in our schools we're smarter than God they became fools for this cause what cause they didn't glorify him as God and they didn't thank him as God for this cause God gave them up now here's what that means God convicts you he deals with you he says I'm God you ought to be worshiping me, walking with me, thanking me, coming into line with my will for your life. And you say, no, mm -mm, I want you out of my life. I want you out of our schools. I want you out of our public square. We don't want you in our society anymore. God says, really? Okay, go for it. He turns you over. Those four words are some of the scariest words in the Bible for me. God turned them over turn them over to what their own lower nature that's why you ought to worship god love god walk with god obey god because as long as you do he keeps you pulled up he keeps you walking in righteousness he keeps you honoring him but as soon as you say don't need you don't want you goodbye adios it's been real toodaloo god says finally okay Turn them over. And what were they turned over to? Vile affections. What were the vile affections? For even their women did exchange the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural, ish, ishaw, the natural, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men committed, listen to the Bible, indecent acts with other men and received in themselves a penalty for their perversion. What's perversion? It's inversion of the truth. Furthermore, he goes on, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, don't even want to be thinking about you. I don't even want to be thinking about you. Get out of my thoughts. Because they didn't even want to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over again to what? A reprobate mind to do what ought not to be done. What's reprobate? It means the inability to distinguish right from wrong, good from bad, 
Righteous from unrighteous. Sweet from bitter. Up from down. It's actually the inversion of right and wrong. He says, God said, okay, go for it. And off they went. And they ended up in sexual perversion. But it didn't stop there. And then he turned them over again to a reprobate mind where then they start saying, this isn't wrong. Why do you say this is wrong? Ah, this is right. And you're wrong. Don't tell me I'm wrong. I've been illuminated. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm up to speed. You're not. And you know what? They mean it. You know why? They can't see it anymore. This is what my Bible says. I'm a teacher of the Word of God. I'm being true to my textbook. The Bible is saying something every Christian, every Jew, and every American should pay close attention to. God has revealed first to all men the difference between right and wrong. It's in your conscience and it's in nature, the Bible says. You may not like God's rules, but we're all without excuse as to what those rules are. Number two, if you don't obey God's rules, your heart becomes darkened to the truth. You might think you know better than God, but you're actually a fool if you turn him away. Third, when a whole society rejects the one true God and begins worshiping false gods, it opens that society up to judgment. Well, what is the judgment? Is it fire and brimstone and earthquakes and hail and all this stuff we see in the Old Testament? What does it mean when it says we come under judgment if we turn God away as a culture? No, here's what the judgments are. The judgments include more unrighteous behavior, sexual immorality, meanness, greed, envy, violence, conflict, lies, gossip, hate for God, pride, self-centeredness, mercilessness, and disrespect for parents by children. And number one on the list is homosexuality. And I want you to notice something. It's not just homosexuality, women with women, men with men, but it's an increase in those who take pleasure in the exhibition of homosexual behavior. Listen to verse 32, the last verse in Romans 1. Quote, they not only do these things themselves, but approve and applaud and amen others who practice them. See, our culture thinks it's moving towards revelation and illumination and modernization, but it's not. It's moving backward. What I just read to you, does it sound like any society you know about? Where now more and more and more and more and more people are applauding homosexual behavior and lifestyle and philosophy and worldview? Arnold Schwarzenegger coming out last week. I think we ought to go into more homosexual, same-sex marriage unions. It ought to be happening. Really, Arnold? Go back to movies. <laughs> Just because you acted like you were somebody else doesn't mean you've got some authority with what you say. I'm so sick of it. Blah, blah, blah. 
Now catch this. If Romans 1 is true, it's telling us that America is right now under God's judgment. If Romans 1 is true, it's telling us that right now we're under God's judgment. We're already being judged in the here and now for rejecting God. And one of those judgments is the explosion of homosexuality in our culture. And the absolute explosion in the number of people accepting it, condoning it, and even rejoicing in it. And that's what the militant homosexual movement is trying to make us do. Accept it, sanction it, agree with it, and applaud it. Can't go there. Won't go there. Whether you're a Christian or not, this affects you. It shapes the world in which you and your children live. I could tell you some stories, don't have time, but I could go into what's happening in schools around the nation that are just absolutely mind-numbing and stunning and mind-blowing. It's unbelievable. And if you think our society is depraved today, you haven't seen anything yet if the church doesn't stand up. But good news what is the answer? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus Christ came to set us free, and the truth will make you free. So I'm going to tell you what we do now. You say, well, what do I do, Pastor Jeff? Because I see what you're saying, and it's true. Quickly, here it is. One, you're going to have to lovingly start speaking up to those seeking to mainstream homosexuality and any other form of sin or perversion and say it is wrong this is wrong and I'm not a bigot and I'm not a homophobe and I'm not a hater if I was a hater I wouldn't care what was happening to you I'd walk away and let you be destroyed but because I do care and I do walk in love and I know what it is to be in bondage in compassion and love I'm saying I've got to draw the line in the sand this is wrong listen The Proverbs say, whoever says to the guilty, you're innocent, people will curse him and nations will denounce him. But it will go well with those who rebuke the guilty and rich blessing will come upon them. Two, do what you can in your circle of influence to turn the tide. No longer be a wallflower. Do what you can in your circle of influence to turn the tide. In your children's schools, in your churches, those of you listening by radio, if your church is going this direction, take a stand, speak up in your towns and in your cities. Wherever this attack lands near you, be a voice of sanity and boldness. Here's what you say, you're going to have to get past me for this to happen here. And don't be one of these milk toast, spineless, jelly spine, marshmallow, good for nothing, unsalty, unlit so-called Christian if you're a child of God you ought to be saying man I better stand up and speak up and pray up and get out there and do something about this third and finally don't fear being persecuted for your stand I play for an audience of one And I'm so serious. Jesus says, suffer the little children to come unto me. He also said, if you make one of these little ones stumble, it's better for you if a millstone was tied around your neck and you were thrown into the ocean and you plummeted down at the bottom. Better for you there than you make one of these little ones stumble. If we keep silent, this 
Militant homosexuality, lesbianism, perversion that is being taught to our children will corrupt an entire generation. You won't know your country in 10 to 20 years. But Christ in you is the hope of glory. Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and call you bigot and call you homophobe. And I'm sticking this in there, but it's just what Jesus was saying. When they say all manner against you falsely, when they call you names, homophobe, bigot, racist, backward, Arkansas, buck tooth, numbskull, unschooled, idiot, Get out of the public arena. You stand up and you say, no. The fact is, I'm a born-again, blood-washed child of God, and I think this is wrong. That's right. Jesus said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who came before you. The gloves are off. Newsflash. The fight is on. The game is afoot. It's time to stand up and speak up in love, but firmly. And say, this isn't the way. There's a better way. And you'd be amazed at what just one of you can do to turn the tide. Can you stand up? How many of you feel what I've been preaching about today? And as a matter of fact, I just said what you wish you could say. Well, you can say it. And you know, I was praying last night and the Lord said, I want you to give an invitation for people to join the church. I said, Lord, after preaching this, I don't know if anybody's going to come. He said, no, Jeff, I've got an army. And I've got a people who are starving to hear the Word of God and who know and are aware and as alarmed as you about the condition of the country. And they're going to help you make a difference. And so I want you just to bow with me for a moment in prayer, would you? Say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I've been coming a while or I visited once or twice, whatever. Maybe your first time here. But you've been looking around for a church home. You know, the Bible says those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. When you're planted, committed, it brings a flourishing, an increase to your spiritual life. And some of you have been visiting, you've been looking around, but it's time that you just said, you know, this is where I'm going to plant myself. I'm going to add myself to this vision. You're not adding yourself to a name of a church. You're adding yourself to a vision, to the spirit of the house, to what God is doing in the house. 
God's laid his hand on you. He said, this is your church family. And I just want to invite you today to come. You feel at home here. You feel peace here. With our heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right where you are. Thank you, Lord. Many people. We're going to just begin to worship. And I want you, if your hand is raised, I want you just to slip out from where you are and come down. Come down right now. And we want to receive you into Turning Point Church today and make you feel welcome. So if your hand is raised, you come right now. And if God's adding you, you come. We're going to receive you. And let's worship right now, Joe. Lord, I'm amazed by yes, Lord. Lord, I'm amazed by Sing it again, everybody. Lord, I'm amazed. Lord, I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. How you love me. I want to just say to these folks. This is a beautiful sight for me, and I want to make a commitment to you. The commitment of, of myself and the other pastors of this church is we will feed you the Word of God. You will not come here and have your ear tickled. We will feed you the Word. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to grow. You cannot come here and not grow because the Word is going to build you up. We're going to, we're going to commit to seeing that you discover your gift if you don't already know it, if you know it. We're going to see to it that you are released in your gift. We want to see you become everything that God has called you to be. We're going to pray for you. We're going to cover you spiritually. And we're going to believe that you're going to shine like you've never shined before. And your life is going to count in this generation for the glory of Jesus. Now see, Tom Autry, come up here, Tom Autry, for a minute. This is my friend, Tom Autry. Let me just show you real quickly. Come on up, Tom. We cycle together. I went yesterday. Did you go yesterday? Too hot? It was 108. I'm lucky to be here. Anyway, we go all the way back to the 70s. He was one of the Jesus Movement uh, popular singers, and, and uh, I played his records all the time on radio while I was a disc jockey, and I played his music. And um, so here we are again. What goes around comes around. He's a wonderful man of God. And Janie, his wife, raise your hand. She's prettier than you are. Amen. <laughs> All right. But that's okay, right? Because she's Ishaw. You're just Ish. All right. All right. <laughs> All right, we're going to pray over you. And then I'm going to ask you all to go into the back with this guy right here, George Dossett, and a couple of others. He's going to give you something to fill out and pray over you and let you go. Where are y'all from? Real, real quickly, we have a minute or two. Where, what area of, the, of town are you from? Fort Worth? West Settlement? Fort Worth? Fort Worth? Joshua, everybody from Joshua, say amen. Yes. Arlington, everybody from Arlington. Fort Worth? 
Burleson. Gee, we don't have anybody from Burleson. 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 Fort Worth. Fort Worth. Where? Plum. All right. Vanbrook. Vanbrook. Burleson. Duncanville. Oh. Fort Worth. White Settlement. Duncanville wins the prize. Give them a hand. All right. Y'all turn around. And I want your church family to give you a big hand of welcome. Turn around and face them. All right. Y'all follow this guy right here into that back door for just a few minutes. Go ahead and follow him, and he'll let you right back out. And Kathy, there you are. Give them a hand as they go, everybody. That was great. That was a great word. And I want to encourage everybody to be sure you read not, not your entire bulletin, but especially read the pastor's point this week. It's especially good. And if you want to forward it to somebody, I forwarded it to some of about 30 of our friends that, around the country uh, as soon as I saw it. And within 15 minutes, literally, they started popping back to me almost before I hit send. I couldn't believe it. And the responses we got, Steve and Annie Chapman were amen in it, just different people. So it's really neat. But um, it's also on the website if you want to forward it to somebody somewhere else. It's the easy way to do it. Um, Wednesday night, we had, we had Heroes Week this week. It was great. And uh, we got to honor heroes. But we also got to be heroes. And in that Wednesday night, we gave you, you the opportunity to donate blood. And the Red Cross, the, the most needful month they have, the greatest need they have is the month of August. So y'all are always great, just like that, and you overwhelm the Red Cross Wednesday night, so much so that they're coming back next Sunday because they couldn't begin to take blood from everybody that wanted to donate. So they're going to be here next Sunday from 9 to 3. That information is also in the bulletin. So those of you that didn't get an opportunity... They're going to be right here on the altar, and we're going to give an <laughs> altar call. No. No. Right here. We're going to have some blood shedding. No. Right here. No. They're going to be in the backs of the chickens that have their knees knocking, can do it like, like you. Yeah. Like me. So, all right, that's next Sunday. And then uh, just so you can be thinking ahead, November, when the weather's cooler and the trees are turning gorgeous colors, it's my favorite time of year, the fall. We're planning a church-wide trip to Branson, Missouri. So just keep, your, keep that in the back of your head. How many of you don't even know what Branson is? They all know what Branson is. All right. Is. We're going to count to three and shout glory. I'm going to make my way, not being antisocial. I'm going right back to greet our visitors. If you're a visitor, we want you to go back there and let us feed.